Thanks for downloading this show from PC1. Before we get rolling, here's a word from one of the folks who helped bring you this podcast. Since 1983, Eddie Trunk has been the voice for fans of rock, hard rock, and heavy metal. A best-selling author, host of TV's That Metal Show, and seven national radio shows, including Trunk Nation, daily on Sirius XM. Interesting. Eddie offers the world his news-making interviews, passionate analysis, honest commentary, and who knows what else. So welcome to the Eddie Trunk Podcast. What's up, everybody? It's Eddie Trunk, and welcome to another edition of the Eddie Trunk Podcast, new every Thursday at podcastone.com and iTunes. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and checking out the show. It is greatly appreciated, and spreading the word, downloading, streaming, whatever the case may be. Remember to go to podcastone.com to find all the great sponsors of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Because of them, I can bring you this show each week with limited ads at no additional cost to you. If you heard a sponsor that you want to try out or forgot a sponsor or want to see a list, you can access them by clicking on the Killer Deals button at podcastone.com and visiting the Eddie Trunk Podcast page. We only approve sponsors that make sense for my audience, and each of my sponsors are listed there with the banners linked to the promotional deal and the promos listed by the brands. Everything you need? easily accessible in one place. So thanks to all our sponsors. Thanks to all of you for supporting them. And uh, the Eddie Trunk Podcast is also a participant in the Amazon Associates Program. That's an affiliate advertising program designed to provide a means for me to earn fees by linking to Amazon.com and affiliated sites. You can link to Amazon at PodcastOne.com, and we appreciate you doing so. So another week here, and I wanted to start off because I didn't have a chance to mention this on last week's podcast. It happened after I had recorded the open but I wanted to send my condolences out to Paul O'Neill, uh, his family, his friends, his fans. Paul O'Neill tragically passing away about a week and a half ago at the age of just 61 years old. Paul O'Neill was the mastermind and creator of Trans-Siberian Orchestra, very much the front man for that group as well. He came out during the shows often. He did all the press. Paul was an old friend. I spent a great deal of time with him in December after a Trans-Siberian Orchestra show in New Jersey. He was incredibly kind and generous to me and my family, and uh, we had a, a great conversation. I actually had him on my show about a week before that on Sirius XM, my daily show on volume. And we had a great conversation. He seemed great. He seemed healthy. He seemed happy. He couldn't have seemed happier. And... So unbelievably generous to me and many others on a regular basis at Trans-Siberian Orchestra shows. Paul O'Neill also was a producer, produced records for Sabotage, which of course was a band born out of TSO, or TSO was born out of Sabotage, uh, produced the first Badlands albums, produced 
live albums for Aerosmith, worked in the music industry behind the scenes for many years. Very talented guy. He will be greatly missed. At the time I am recording the open to this podcast, there's been no information released yet as to what took Paul Paul O'Neill's life at just 61 years old. He was found dead in a hotel room in Florida, where he also uh, did a lot of business and lived there as well as New York. So this is really sad and tragic news. You think about all of the musicians in the 10-plus years of Trans-Siberian Orchestra that Paul O'Neill employed through that band and new people that came into it and people that were in it on a regular basis. A guy like Chris Caffery, who was in the band pretty much since day one, not pretty much since day one. And I had Chris on my show on volume on Sirius XM the day after Paul's death, uh, giving us a few minutes. I mean, from Alex Skolnick to Joel Hoekstra to Russell Allen uh, to Jeff Plate, Al Petrelli, behind the scenes, John Oliva. I'm just naming a few of the incredible musicians, a very few. David Z in the recent lineup, who have all been in or out at one point or another, Trans-Siberian Orchestra, a much sought-after gig, and Paul's so supportive of so many of these guys in so many ways, and a, a huge loss. And uh, again, rest in peace, Paul O'Neill. I wanted to address that at the start of this week's show here on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. I did talk about it on all my radio platforms, but because of the timing and the time that I do the, the podcast intros, haven't had a chance to address that. So anyway, I had a chance to go up to Toronto last week where I spent one day interviewing Bob Ezrin, the legendary producer, and another day interviewing the members of Triumph, who I reunited for an exclusive interview for my volume show, which again, you can hear every day on channel 106. That show airs live Monday to Friday, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Replays every night, 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern Time. It's on demand on the SiriusXM app. Best ofs on the weekend, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time, all on Channel 106. Some of the interviews you hear on the Eddie Trunk podcast are courtesy of that show. Had a great time in Toronto. Had a great time with Ezrin. Had a great time with Triumph. I will bring you those interviews in the next couple of weeks, if you didn't hear them originally, here on this podcast. Got many requests for them. I will bring them to you uh, coming up in the next couple of weeks. They are both full-length interviews that will take up the entire podcast for that week. So stand by for those in the next couple of weeks. Coming up soon, there are a lot of things I have going on as far as getting out there and various appearances and things like that. As usual, be sure to check out eddytrunk.com right on the home page of my website you'll see all my appearances as they are added m3 is now getting extremely close that is in columbia maryland back hosting that the weekend of april 28th hope to see you guys out there at m3 also don't forget rocklahoma that is getting near and that is happening memorial day weekend prior oklahoma honored to be hosting that Every single year, I'll see you out there again in Tulsa, in the Tulsa area, I should say, for Rocklahoma. Speaking of Tulsa, two appearances at the IDL Ballroom, and that is right in Tulsa. Great little venue there. May 5th, I'm there hosting Dawkin. And coming up June 2nd, I'm there hosting Tom Kiefer. And 
Also, don't forget, May 7th, I'm in Encino, California, hosting the Ride for Ronnie. Go to docancerfund.org for more information about that. Great fundraising event for charity. And then I'll be spending a week in L.A. doing my radio show from there. Also, I'll be at Harpo's in Detroit on July 1st, hosting the L.A. Guns Reunion. Loud in Lima, Lima, Ohio. That's on July 21st. Many more events, many more to come. They will all be listed on eddytrunk.com, right on the homepage as they come in. While you're on my site, you can also check out the merch store, Trunk Nation stuff there. Hit the books tab, sign copies of either of my books. Check the blog, the Trunk Report, music news updated daily. You can email me through the site. It's all there for you on my official online home, eddytrunk.com. Follow on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at eddytrunk. This week, another double dip, ladies and gentlemen. First up, I've been waiting to bring this interview for you, uh, to you for a while. I think you will enjoy it. It's a great conversation with Don Airy. The new Deep Purple album has just been released. The interview you're about to hear was done about six weeks ago, maybe, when I was out in Los Angeles around the NAMM show. And Don Airy was nice enough to give me some time, and we talk about his work with Ozzy, we talk about his work with Deep Purple, and much, much more. So Don Airy uh, thought it would be appropriate to roll this out. At the time we did this interview, the new Deep Purple album had not been released. As I mentioned, it is now available and has just come out. So a good time to hear from Don Airy, very much a, an uns, unsung hero in the world of hard rock, who's played with so many, and I really think you're going to enjoy hearing the stories that Don shares with us in this interview. And then second, an interview that, well, was done more recently, about a week and a half, two weeks ago, the Motor City Madman, Uncle Ted, Ted Nugent checks in. Ted has just announced a new tour. We talked to him about that. We talked to him about the passing of Chuck Berry, who was one of his heroes. A lot of great music talk with the great Ted Nugent. And again, listen, I understand people don't like Nugent. They don't like his views on things. I talked to Nugent about things that I think he's very underrated, I should say, underrated, and that is in music. So whether you like Nugent's positions on various things, politics, hunting, whatever, that's fine. You're entitled to your opinion. But I love Nugent because he's outspoken, he's honest, he's open. Even if I don't agree with everything Nugent does or says, I appreciate and respect his willingness to speak openly. And I am a fan of his music, which I think is incredibly underrated and overshadowed, as well as his guitar playing. So Uncle Ted, Ted Nugent... The second interview on another double dip for you on the Eddie Trunk podcast. So Katie Irizarry, as always, is the producer. Appreciate you guys listening and streaming and downloading and however you get this thing. Spread the word about it. Keep listening. And be sure to check out my show every day on Sirius XM Channel 106 Volume for daily rock talk and interviews live 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern, replay every night 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Don't forget my terrestrial radio show on more than 30 stations across the country, including great stations like Q1043 in New York City, WAAF in Boston, where it premieres every Friday night at 11 p.m. Eastern time. Hit me on Twitter at Eddie Trunk. Let's take a break. We'll come back. Don Airy first, Ted Nugent second. The Eddie Trunk Podcast up and running for another week. Thanks for listening, everybody. The Eddie Trunk Podcast.
Hey, when you guys are looking to buy a car, you want to make sure that you're getting real pricing on actual inventory. Now, unfortunately, a lot of times this isn't the case. People configure cars online only later to find out they're not available. Now, with TrueCar, you get real pricing on actual inventory. And this is not pricing offered by TrueCar, but pricing from an actual dealer. And not just any dealer, but a TrueCar certified dealer. This is a carefully curated network of dealers committed to transparency and offering you a competitive market price. Using TrueCar, you can easily find the car you want. Next, TrueCar will show you what other people in your area paid for the same car that you're looking for. And now you know what a fair price is so you can feel confident. Over 3 million cars have been sold to TrueCar users by the TrueCar Certified Dealer Network, and there are over 13,000 TrueCar Certified Dealers nationwide. You'll work directly with a TrueCar Certified Dealer contact. TrueCar users are more likely to enjoy a faster buying process, and they connect with TrueCar Certified Dealers. Or when they connect, I should say, which they will do with TrueCar Certified Dealers. TrueCar users, you ready for this? They save an average of over 3000 off MSRP. So when you're ready to buy, visit TrueCar to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features are not available in all states. I'm John Horn. I'm the host of Geffen Playhouse Unscripted. I'm here with our very first guest, Rain Wilson. Hi, John. It looks like I'm the first guest on the Geffen Unclothed Unscripted. Unscripted, yeah. Let's go with that. A marriage made in heaven, I guess. Or Westwood. Tune in for some of our exciting upcoming guests. David Copperfield, Neil LaBute, Neil Patrick Harris, Josh Gad, Rita Wilson, and many more. Be sure to download new episodes every Wednesday on the Podcast One app and on iTunes. And don't forget to rate, review, and share. And, and I'm Rain Wilson, the first guest. You are no, the very this, first guest. This was a huge uh, mistake. Geffen Playhouse Unscripted. Huge mistake. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Live by Live has all of your favorite music, and you can listen for free. Whether you hit play on one of our hundreds of curated music stations or create your own custom artist radio station, you'll find the music you love on Live by Live. Visit LiveXLive.com or search LiveXLive in the App Store or Google Play and listen for free now. All right, we're back with this week's edition of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. As I mentioned, two interviews for you this week. Coming up next, you're going to be hearing from Uncle Ted, Ted Nugent, in a recent interview talking about his upcoming tour and a whole lot more, including Damn Yankees. You do not want to miss that. But right now, I, uh, for the first time ever, had a chance to interview Don Airy, legendary keyboardist that played with Ozzy Osbourne, has been in Deep Purple now for a number of years, and it was great to spend some time with Don. This was done in Los Angeles six, eight weeks ago, right around the NAMM show. When I did a remote broadcast from there before the Hall of Heavy Metal History Awards show as well. And it was great to spend time with Don Airy. So let's get into that right now. Don Airy on this week's Eddie Trunk Podcast, interview number one of two. Nugent coming up next. Good to see you, Don. Hi, Eddie. Nice to be here. Uh, thank you so much for uh, for dropping by. Just just for people that uh, if, if Don Airy is not a name that you oh, I know that guy. I want to run a few things down here. Just a little sampling of the people that Don has worked with. Gary Moore, the late, great Gary Moore. Of course, Ozzy Osbourne. Everybody has heard Mr. Crowley. That is Don Airy. Um, Judas Priest, Black Sabbath, Jethro Tull. Whitesnake, Saxon, Wishbone Ash, Steve Vai, Michael Schenker, Rainbow, Thin Lizzy, Brian May, and Andrew Lloyd Webber. 
Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's a fascinating. That's one I did not know. That's fairly interesting. We did a thing. Uh, his Paganini variations. That's when I was in a band with Gary called Coliseum Two. Oh, right. And it was just a recording session for a week with, you know, this mythical figure, Andrew Lloyd Webber, uh-huh. who uh, Gary used to call "Hey Andy, baby." <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Andrew loved Gary actually. And, you know, it was great fun for a week. Next thing we know, we're number two in the charts. And wow. We're playing the Festival Hall. We flew to L.A. and played here. We played um, in New York as well. And I should, of course, mention that Don has been a member of Deep Purple, which I did not realize this since 2002. Now, I, knew, I know you came into the band while John was still alive and played yeah. for a number of years after John had retired. Yeah. But I didn't realize that it's, uh, it's been that long, 15 years. Yeah, so it's come come as a shock to me, really. You left out about three years with a band. So uh, I think it says more about them than it does about me, actually. How did, you know, it's interesting because you're coming in, you come into a band like Deep Purple to replace a, a founding member and a, a legendary guy in John mm. Lord at a time where, again, he was still alive and he was just retiring by his own uh, desire to get out of the business at that point. Um, what was your relationship like with him? Did you know him well before you joined the band? Yeah, I knew him pretty well. Um, we used to meet up, you know, uh, around London. But I'd always phone him every year and tell him what I was doing. He was like the boss. So once a year, I'd phone John up. Now, oh, what you been doing here? He'd tell me. And ask him his advice. He, he was always great with advice. Um, and he was very complimentary about things. He came to a couple of um, Still Got the Blues shows, which I did with Gary. And uh, oh, he was so nice to me about the Hammond organ playing and the part I'd played in the album. You know, he was a lovely man. As a as a uh, as a rock guitar player, as a rock based keyboard player yourself, playing with mm. all these rock guys, was John Lord somebody that you looked up to? Is a guy that sort of set the blueprint for that style of playing? Was he an influence on you? <laughs> yes, I, I was more influenced by his kind of demeanor. In in that, when you're in the crucible of uh, creating heavy rock, he was incredibly cool. I was more influenced, by, I think, by Keith Emerson mm-hmm. and Brian Auger than John. But since I've joined Purple, you know, I've, I've got a deeper appreciation of exactly what John did. Did John give you, uh, when you when you got the gig, did John work with you at all in any of the, his parts? Did, he, did you sound things off of him or did you all, did you know it? fairly well and just well i found him out i said you got any advice he said yes stay out the way of ian pace's drum fills <laughs> <laughs> and that was it which are quite monstrous yeah yeah, yeah. stay out <laughs> stay out the way but and did he ever did he physically uh did, well was he did he recommend you for the gig do you know or he dropped out of a tour tour at two days notice so they were panicking Ro- roger glover phoned me up and said what are you doing on wednesday this is monday i said oh i'm got a session with an orchestra. He said, no, you're not. You're coming to play with Deep Purple in Skanderberg Festival. Where, uh, John's dropped out. We need you to cover for a week. Okay, then. So I said, uh, what's on the set list, Rog? He said, uh, oh, I don't know. What do you fancy? <laughs> <laughs> so you had two days to get a Deep Purple set down. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I so can't... And the thing was, I, I, they put me on the wrong plane over to the rehearsal in Denmark. <laughs> So, so you you get the call to uh, to to join Deep Purple on two days' notice. Yeah, they send you a plane ticket to the wrong place. Yeah. <laughs> you eventually connect with the band. 
I imagine you had a pretty good understanding and knowledge of the keyboard parts of their big songs anyway. Yeah, I was quite familiar. It's one thing being familiar with them, another thing getting up and playing with them. But um, we had one, it was 10 minutes. By the time I got the rehearsal, there was 10 minutes left. To to go on stage? No, this was the the night before. Oh, the night before. What do you fancy then? I said, oh, a woman from Tokyo. I always wanted to play that with Deep Purple. So, uh-huh. so off, we, off we kicked. And I just just went, oh, my God, Pacey's still got it. And Who's this on guitar? And Roger's amazing. Steve Morse on yeah. guitar. Yeah. And um, we went through a couple more difficult things. And then next day, Steve taught me one of his masterpieces called Well Dressed Guitar. Mm-hmm. Very technical thing. And then on stage in front of thirty thousand people, kind of <laughs> there off. There you go. <laughs> you know. It's uh, and it's amazing the history of Deep Purple. And yeah. of course, since you've been in the band, you've made a, I think two studio records with three, them. three. Yeah. And we got a there's a new one. one done, right? There's a new one coming out called Infinite, and it's coming out in April. So you've now been a part of their recorded history. Um, of course, one of the things I screamed about forever with Deep Purple was their. Uh, being them being ignored by the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for so yeah. long. And then they finally did get in last year after yeah. the craziness. Now, so many people have been in and out of Deep Purple over the decades. Uh, yourself now logging, coming up on 15 years in the yeah. band. Um, did, was there a side of you that thought you should have been included in the induction? I, I don't know, really. I, I was just honored to be there, actually, and to, to see the guys inducted. I mean, they really deserve it, you know. Right. The three of them are quite something. Right. And then, of course, they included uh, David and Glenn. Yeah. So they came into it as well. But it's a it's a long history. If you look at the Deep Purple family tree, (laughs) I guess if they would have put in everyone, it could have been quite extensive. They could have still been doing it, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you'd have to book a big hall just for the ex-members. Yeah. So so you uh, you mentioned there's a Deep Purple record coming out. The band yeah. is always touring somewhere in the world. Globally, yeah. it's still such a huge thing. But there have been these overtures that maybe this is starting to reach the end, that maybe this is the final record, and uh, some of the advertising for the touring in other parts of the world have kind of alluded to the final shows or what have you. What what have you been told? What can you share with the it's, audience? It's called the Long Farewell Tour, and it, it didn't come from us, and it didn't come from the management. You know, it it's come from the promoters. Really? Yeah. The promoters are deciding that Deep Purple should stop? <laughs> well, they have to sell tickets, so they 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 can pretty much do what they want, you know. Um, so so you that's not the position that the band has. Not really, but looking at it realistically, you know, with how long the band's been going and how old we're all getting, you know, it's a reasonable supposition. Right. That this will be some kind of farewell tour. Yeah. But everybody still plays so well, yourself included. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Ian Pace, uh, just still a, a monster player. He's and he's the one original, one guy that's been there through everything. Every single gig, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's unbelievable when you consider that. And Steve, who's been there for so long as 20 well. Years. Yeah. yeah 20 years. Yeah, I mean, but he's he's probably maybe 10 years or so younger than, than the rest of the guys, so... He's a bit younger, yeah. Yeah. Not that much. I think he's um he's a bit he's older than us all now. He's he's so worn down with it. <laughs> <laughs> Steve's a good friend, I'll mention that to him next time I see him. And you you're you're still a young guy, man. You can still go out there and hit those keyboards for a while. Yeah, I love it. I mean Pacey says something great. You know, he says, I'm just getting the hang of this, why stop? <laughs> and it's very true. Each gig's a new beginning. Um we have tremendous fun. 
yeah. on the road. You know, serious fun. It's a great band to be in. Yeah, yeah. We've got some great tunes. There's great players. We never, never quite know what's going to happen. Well, and that's kind of always been the thing about Deep Purple. You yeah. never really know which way it's going to go, even within the confines of the set that night. That's There's right. a lot of improvisation <laughs> and things. I've seen the band a bunch since you've been in it, yeah. and uh, and and uh, you never know which way. And and I, I, I imagine as a player being in a band like Deep Purple and being the caliber of player you are, it's uh, it's it's fun because it's not coming out there and doing the same exact thing every night. You get to improvise a little bit, right? Yeah, you you got to keep on your toes. You're just never quite sure what's going to happen. It's a tough old set as well for a keyboard player. Yeah, yeah. You know, usually you just stand there and you think in four numbers time, I've got something difficult to do. But, but with Purple, it's like every song. Oh, bloody hell. How am I, <laughs> I going to get through this? You know, Two hours sometimes we play. I'm sure that a good portion of my audience would love to hear about um, some of your time in Ozzy's band because yeah. – I mentioned Mr. Crowley, which is such an iconic uh, piece of music, um, and and that big keyboard uh, piece, which yeah. is you, right? Yeah, and, that's and, right. And then, but you actually officially joined the band with the Mar- the Bark at the Moon tour, right? No, I was in the band before that. Eighty two, I was in the band. Okay, so you came in on Diary, around yeah. Diary of Madness. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but you played on the first record as yeah, well, right? I, and they wanted me for the second record, but I was out on tour with Rainbow. So they got someone else. I forget who who it was. Um, so what Rainbow period did you do? What Rainbow tour uh, was it with Joel and Turner? Yeah, I did one tour with Graham Bonnet and then one tour with Joel and Turner. So you did Down to Earth with All Night Long and, yeah. and all that sort of yeah, stuff. On that. And then Difficult Difficult to Cure. Difficult to Cure was Joe's first album yeah. with yeah. I Surrender and and some great songs on yeah, there as well. Yeah, wonderful album. That, Are you still in touch with Blackmore at all? No, I, I saw him about three or four years ago. I went to see a show and uh, went backstage. Had a very nice half hour with him, I must say. It was great to see him. It's kind of nice to see him playing rock and, and embracing that stuff a little bit again, huh? Yes. Um, Although I still think I think he needs to do it consistently. This is just me speaking if he's going to really embrace it. Because from my vantage point, and I only saw a video of it, but it seemed like there was... A, a little bit of rust there, if you will. I think he was just kind of shedding, uh, just starting to work off of shedding yeah. what he had done for so long. And to, to jump, to not play heavy rock for 30 years and to jump right back in, I think is is a bit rough. Yes. And I understand, I, now I'm just, acknowledge, I'm just realizing the fact that you are a current member of Deep Purple right now, mm-hmm. so you probably don't want to be talking much about Richie Blackmore. <laughs> <laughs> it just connected all of that in my well, head. Well, I always got on well with Richie, actually. Yeah. Up, up to a certain point. Um, he, he was someone you, you can really learn things from, especially about music and about relating to your audience. Yeah. You know, he, he was a genius at that, but he... he I don't know what happened to him. He just kind of turned his back on it. And he he did something you should never do in showbiz, change your act. He did something completely different and made a success of it, you know, and fair dues to him. If that's what he wants to do, mm-hmm. I hope he's happy doing it. Yeah, but it's, but he seems like he's now kind of straddling the two worlds, I think, and, and trying to figure out exactly which way he's going to go because I hear he may do more rock shows again. I think he's doing a few more, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think it's not as easy as it looks playing rock and roll, you know, heavy rock. Right. Everyone thinks it's easy, but it's not. And I think Richie, because it's been so long since he really strapped on that strap, it's going to take him a while, but God, watch out if he 
really if, gets if it all connects again. <laughs> if he gets going again, yeah, yeah, there'll be something worth hearing. That's for sure. When uh, when you going back to Ozzy for a second, yeah. when you first came into Ozzy and Ozzy started to put together the the solo band, and he reached out to you to, or, or I don't know if it was Max Norman or Bob Daisley or whoever was involved in the, those first couple records. How did you get pulled into Ozzy World? Well, I, I was doing a concert with Rain, Rainbow at Wembley uh, Wembley Arena in London. And the band walked off stage after about an hour, and a riot ensued. You know, people started ripping out seats, and it was terrible. And the, the dressing rooms are under under the um, under the seats, you know, and uh, under where well, most of the seats were being ripped out. And Bob Daisley came in to see me. He said, "Ozzy's uh, forming a new band, and we've got this amazing guitarist, and we want you in as the keyboard player. What do you think?" I said. No, I said, uh, Bob, I said, things are going really well with Rainbow. <laughs> I, I, I better stay. And Bob goes, yeah, I've noticed. It's <laughs> <laughs> terrible furor going on. But um, Why was there this riot for the Rainbow show again? Because we, we, Richie decided, walked off, and he wasn't going to do an encore. And, uh, oh. Oh, it was pretty disgraceful, really. Wow. But, you know, I said, well, I'll come down and do the sessions. Um, so I went and recorded with them, and that, that was great. I mean, I've never had uh, three days like that. Ozzy, right on form. And Mr. Crowley, that opening piece, was yeah. that already written or is that something you came up with? No, they just said they wanted an intro. And they, the, the band were kind of sitting along the um, next to Max on the along the desk, kind of, oh, try this. I, I threw them all out. I said, go away, go away for half an hour. Come back, see what I've come up with. So it was just me and Max Norman. And Ozzy came back in and he, he listened to it. He said, it's, it's like he plugged into my head. Wow. You know. It's such an iconic piece of music. Yeah. The, and you, So you wrote that? Yeah. Did you get credit for it? Did I? Hell. <laughs> so you're in the Bob Daisley world as well, huh? You're in the Bob Daisley, Jakey Lee world of looking for credit for something you, did, you wrote well, that you didn't get. What, what can I say? You know, at the time, Ozzy wasn't in a very good position. You yeah. know, he was down on his luck, so to speak. Yeah taking a tremendous chance putting a band together. Um, you know, the finances were very um, murky for the band at that point. They didn't really have any money. So, you know, I'm just a musician. You, you just try and help. So you got paid a session fee or whatever? I did whatever it for a session fee, but, it, but of course I, I was on the road with the band for four years. Yeah. It was a very successful band. You know, well, you here's what's interesting. You mentioned you you call it a band, and of course, it yeah. was a band. Yeah. But I've I've talked to Daisley, and I've talked to Jakey Lee, and I've talked to uh, to some of the guys around at that time, and that is a big, especially for Bob, was a big point of contention in those early years. Is that it was sold to him as the ba- as a band, Blizzard yeah. of Oz, and it very quickly changed to Ozzy and a bunch of backing guys. So that was something that, that never quite sat right with him because he felt it was a bit of a bait-and-switch and it wasn't really a band. Yeah, in spite of everything, I always felt it was a band because yeah. Ozzy always knew down, deep down, that that's the only way you're going to produce music and the only way he, he could write songs is having a band around him that oh, functioned. Yeah. Right, because they, they, they did the bulk of the writing. Everybody knows Ozzy doesn't really write. Well, he does. He writes melodies. He's brilliant at it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you can play him anything and he, he'll sing you a song. Right. But as oh, far but as lyrics and stuff, Daisley wrote them and, and Geezer wrote them and Sabbath and what no, have Ozzy, you. Ozzy could come up with the lyrics as well. Yeah. I mean, he he doesn't get the credit he deserves. For as a writer. How good he was. Yeah. Right. As a singer. As a frontman for for the band. I mean, it was always great. 
You know, we never did a bad show, as far as I remember. Uh, it was he ran a very tight ship, though you'd think the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> no. When I when I joined, Sharon said to me, "Now you're entering a monastery. Forget all that old rock and roll." Wow. Ball. Yeah. Wow. Which, and I loved it actually. I remember my vi- my biggest vision with you beyond the, the the audio side of what you did with Ozzy. It's to me that the iconic open to Mr. Crowley, of course. But from a performance standpoint, you did the Bark at the Moon tour, right? Yeah. And that staging was that big stage, and oh, you were kind of up there in a part of a castle almost. You had a little chambers up there in, the, right, in the corner yeah. of the stage. That had to be a lot of fun. <laughs> oh, it was great. Yeah. Some we- crazy times, I would think. You know, we used to dress up and put makeup on, yeah. and um, I had a sequin cloak that would have done Rick Wakeman proud. <laughs> it was a great laugh, and it was always a good band. Yeah. You know, we, nobody ever had... We never came off and argued about anything. Everybody always felt we gave it 100% every night. Um, you know, I, I actually walked onto that stage once yeah. in the middle of the show. I, I'm sure you remember this, but on the Bark at the Moon tour, uh, during Journey to the Center of... Eternity. Eternity, yeah, with the there, monks. Yes. Well, you were a monk. I was a monk. <laughs> <laughs> there was a, there was a, for people listening that don't know, there was a moment in the show where they would, uh, I guess in every city, they would pick a local radio DJ or what have yeah. you, and they would uh, dress you as a monk, and you'd stand off stage, and there would be a road guy that would give you your cue and say, at this point, you walk out and you hand Ozzy this goblet, you turn around and you walk off the stage. And put you in this monk outfit. So in New Jersey, where I live at 1983 on that tour, I had just started my radio show right out of high school. And in that town, I got, I was playing Aussie records. I got picked to be the monk and uh, I have photos of it. I have photos of me in the outfit. (laughs) And uh, I think Motley Crue was the opening act. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That was our first real big tour. And a band called Wasted, I believe, was on the bill. Pete Way's band. Pete Way's band. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm a huge UFO fan. So I knew that for sure. Um, The thing I remembered Don, about going out there on that stage. And, of course, you played on that stage yeah. for so many gigs. Uh, two things I remember vividly. Once was the robes smelled horrendously that they put on. <laughs> because, you know, putting on uh, in every city, you put this robe on somebody. Yeah. They're all were obviously nervous and sweating and what have you, and they probably never washed the robe. No, they just went in a big old fly case and yeah, got dragged yeah. out next night. I'll yeah. never forget the guy. The road guy hands it to me and throws it over, and I was like, "Oh, this is terrible smelling." <laughs> but what are you going to do? You're going to walk out on twenty thousand people. Yeah. You've got to wear the robe. That's right. And the other thing is, I remember him saying to me, um, "Don't look down." Don't pick anything up off the floor. Hand the goblet to Ozzy. Turn around and leave. I, what am I going to pick up off the floor? What is he talking about? And when I walked out, at least in New Jersey, I couldn't believe how much stuff fans would throw up on the stage. Yeah. There was a, I, a guy's fake leg, <laughs> jewelry, a wallet, a watch. I mean, was that a regular occurrence? People just tossing stuff up there? Well, we had a snake on stage one night. <laughs> a live snake? Yeah, it reared up at Aussie. You yeah. mean so, that someone threw up? Yeah. yeah <laughs> and, of course, the, the famous incident with a bat. And he, he thought it was a plastic bat. Right. You know, and I saw him walking around the stage with it, with the wings kind of flapping <laughs> as he had the, the head in his mouth. And it bit him. That's when he knew it wasn't plastic. He knew for certain. It wasn't plastic. But the snake, somebody threw a live somebody snake. Somebody threw a snake on stage, yeah. And so so you, so you guys are playing and you see this snake. I saw, I saw yeah, I saw it rear up at Aussie. 
And what did he do? He ran. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As one of, would. Did a bit of a scamper, you know, across the other side of the stage. Which road, which guy on the crew gets the job of disposing of a live <laughs> snake in the middle of 20,000 well, people? The, the snake vanished. You know, nobody saw, saw it again. Oh. But. You know, the word went out, be careful when you're, when you're loading the gear out. That's even scarier. It could turn up in a case or it could yeah, be underneath yeah. the stage or, yeah. you don't know, where it's going to show up then. No laughing matter, actually. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, do you have a couple more minutes before yeah. you have to go? Sure. I want to talk to, to Don Airy. So many great stories. And there's a few people that want to get in and, and, and ask you a question as well on the phone. Loving this conversation. Don Airy uh, is here with me right now. New Deep Purple record coming out. Of course, as we mentioned, Don has been a member of that band since 2002, doing such a great job for the late, great John Lord, and of course, putting his own stamp on the music with uh, original stuff that he's created with the band as well. Um, But a a couple more things I want to ask about some of the uh, legendary bands that he's been a part of. The Eddie Trunk Podcast. Hey, let me tell you guys about Casper Mattresses. They are an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price. I got to tell you, I got a Casper mattress for my son. He absolutely loves it. He used to always get up and get out of his mattress and come into our bed and sleep until I got the Casper. Now he loves it. Keeps him in his room. Who wouldn't want to sleep on a Casper even Even a nine-year-old knows how great a Casper is. It's a new hybrid mattress that combines premium memory foam with latex foam. It's been named one of Time's Best Inventions of 2015. The Casper is the most awarded mattress of the decade, and the cost, it's unbelievably cheap. I mean, mattresses can often cost well over $1,500, but Casper mattresses cost between $500 for a twin size, $600 for twin XL, $750 for full size. Buying a Casper is super easy. You get a 100-day period to try it out. It's that simple. You can return it with free delivery. It really is awesome. It's obsessively engineered mattress, shockingly fair price. And there's a great deal now, too. You get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting caspertrial.com slash trunk, T-R-U-N-K, and use promo code 50sleep, 50sleep. Terms and conditions apply. Again, go to caspertrial.com. That's Casper with a C, trial.com slash trunk, promo code 50sleep. 50 bucks off, nothing to lose. You will love this mattress. It comes packed in the box. The box opens, drop the thing on your, your, your springboard, your mat, boom, you're good. You're good. Great night's sleep. Enjoy, Casper. The Eddie Trunk Podcast. Um, a couple people want to talk to you, if you don't mind. We'll take no a couple problem. quick calls for Don Airy, and then we'll let him uh, make his way out of here. Tyler in Georgia has been waiting a long time. Tyler, you're on Trunk Nation with Don Airy. Thank you, Eddie, for taking my call. I am Don. I am a huge fan. I, I'm talking to Rock Royalty right here. Um, you absolutely are. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for all the music you've been a part of. I mean, I grew up listening to you. Um, on everything from, you know, I'm, I'm going to touch base on it in a second, but Michael Shanker to White Snake. I mean, it's just everything you've done has been just incredible. Just picked up well, your K2 you. record, and I absolutely oh, think it's heavens. brilliant. I love <laughs> yeah. it. It's great. 
Um, but what I wanted to, and thank you again for all the music, but I wanted to, to see if you could um, talk a little bit about your time with uh, Gary Moore, um, how that came about, how you got that job, and, and just working with the greatest guitar player to ever walk the earth. Yeah, um, one of my favorites, too, the late, great Gary Moore. Thank you, Tyler, for the call. What, what stuff did you do with Gary? Were you, uh, what period of time were you in there? I was, I was in the Corridors of Power? That period? Oh, before that. No, I was in a band called Coliseum 2. Oh, right. Okay. So before his solo years yeah, and before yeah. he did Victims yeah. of the Future and all yeah. that. Okay. So, um, no, I met him. I'd, I'd hired my keyboards out to a band for a week because I went on holiday and somebody said, oh, we're auditioning. We need some keyboards. So I went to pick the keyboards up and walked in and I said, ooh, it's John Heisman and Gary Moore. You know, and I'd, I'd been following Gary for a bit. I knew what a player he was. Yeah. And uh, John Heisman said, yeah, can we help you? So I've come to pick my keyboards up. And Heisman looked at me and said, can you play those things, Sonny? <laughs> I said, yeah, a bit. So I played for three hours and they offered me the job. You know, I was the 52nd keyboard player they tried. <laughs> but my, my relationship with Gary started then, 1976. Yeah. And went on till just before he died. I think the last thing he recorded was with me on uh, one of my solo albums. Wow. He he was um a troubled soul, I have to say that, especially towards the end, which was very galling to witness. Mm. How just, so at the end was he was he were, were there substances involved or was it just I don't know. I just don't think he could cope with his own genius, you know. It, it never left him alone, the poor man. Yeah. You know, I didn't after, know him at all. I only met him briefly, but I was a huge fan. He was an amazing player, yeah. amazing musician. Yeah, I mean, st looking back now, I can see that his biggest inspiration was Hendrix. I think he'd seen Hendrix a couple of well, times. Well, I just watched a DVD that came out, I guess, about 10 years, 12 yeah. years ago, of him doing all Hendrix. Yeah. Yeah, and it was brilliant. It was brilliant. Yeah, it, it's, that's the only word for him. He was uh, endlessly inspirational. And... You know, we, I just feel now, looking back, how, how lucky I was to have spent so much time with him. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's get another call or two in here before, uh, before we wrap up with Don Airy. Uh, this is Kel in Pennsylvania. Hi, Kel. Hey, how you doing, Eddie? Very good. Hey, uh, quick question for, uh, uh, first of all, thank you for letting me on here. And uh, I just wanted to say that I'm an older guy now, but my first three albums I ever bought when I was a real young guy was Hi, I'm Johnny Cash, the Rolling Stones, Hot Rocks, and Deep Purple Made in Japan. And uh, <laughs> you could pretty much take everything from there. But uh, I have a question for Don, and it's, it's an honor to be able to talk to you. Uh, Probably my favorite album of the last five years is the To the uh, Rising Sun, the live album. Uh, Which one? I, I just think it's, I believe it's called To the Rising Sun. Oh, yeah, the, the Deep Purple Live. <laughs> yes. From, and, from the Budokan. Uh, yeah, it, and if you haven't heard it, anybody out there, I highly suggest getting it. It's just amazing. Uh, especially the keyboards, the guitars, it's, it's, it's amazing. But I just want to know who came up with the, the second of the last song is Hush, but actually there's a little intro with Green Onions that goes into Hush. Was that you that came up with that? Or I, I just think that that 
the way it goes, it segs from Green Onions into the song Hush. It's totally amazing. And it's just wonderful. I think, I think it was, I think it was Pacey. He just said, here, do you know Green Onions? I said, yeah, slightly. He said, I would do that before. <laughs> like I said earlier, anybody that's a Deep Purple fan knows there's this enormous history of improvisation yeah. that yeah. within the set, things you may not even know are coming, and they just kind of sort it out as you go, right? Yeah. We, we do all kinds of things. We do Beatles songs, um, different Booker T stuff. We do Stevie Winwood. I love, <laughs> I love playing Give Me Some Loving yeah. in the hush, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. We try and do something different every night. Um, one one more quick question here uh, for Sam in Pennsylvania with Don Airy before we let Don get out of here. Go ahead, Sam. Don, two albums define Deep Purple, Machine Head and Perfect Strangers. When you went in to do Now What, was there a real big importance of trying to top those? And Eddie, just a yes or no, Black Country Communion, will there be a new album? I'm out of here. Uh, Black Country Communion, Sam, are making the record as we speak, uh, probably uh, not very far from here. So that's, that is 100% a go. I had Glenn and Joe Bonamassa on this show last time I did it here from L.A. So that's 100% go. The record is being recorded as we speak. Um, you, Knowing Joe, it's probably finished already. Yeah, exactly right. Um, so, so I guess the que- the question was: do, do you feel, or does the band feel, Deep Purple, that that when you're making the new music, that it has to? Do you do you measure it up against those iconic you, records? You're never going to match them. You know, they're, they're, you can't do once you get older. You can't do what you did when you when you were younger. It's a different vibe. Yeah. But when we went in to do now what, there was a definite feeling. Mainly coming from the producer, Bob, Bob Ezrin worked on... You yeah. know, he just went, guys, this is serious. Come on, you can do it. And we did. Yeah. Uh, it was wonderful working with him. I must say, wonderful for us all, especially for Steve. It really brought out a new side to Steve. Yeah. That was very good to see. Uh, Ezrin, uh, I'd love to get him on one of these days. He's, he's obviously... A, he's an amazing man. A legend in the world of music yeah. production as well. So uh, I'd love to... One of these days, I'm going to grab Bob and get him on this show. Um, listen, I appreciate the time. Thank you for coming by. It's been my pleasure, Eddie. And, very nice uh, to meet you. I hope we can do it again sometime soon. Okay. And congratulations on tonight being yes. honored here. Thank you. Well, uh, I'll, be, I'll be handing you a, a statue in a few <laughs> hours. Like, do I get a gong? Oh, you, you get something, and uh, don't know what it'll be. It might be some lint from my pocket, but I'll... <laughs> I'll hand you something I'll a little treasure bit later. It anyway. <laughs> Thank you, Don. That's very kind of you. Well, my thanks to Don Airy. Appreciate him joining me for this week's Eddie Trunk podcast. Again, that interview happened in Los Angeles about six, eight weeks ago around the NAMM show. Great to catch up with Don. Check out the new Deep Purple album. That is out there right now. All right, we got to take a break. We'll come back and we'll be joined by Uncle Ted. Buckle in. Ted Nugent coming up next. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Hey, I've been telling you guys about BarkBox. It really is awesome. It's a delivery of four to six natural treats and super fun toys curated around a surprise theme each month for dogs. BarkBox, it's like the joy of a million belly scratches, you guys. You tell them how big your dog is. Small, just right, big and bold, small and cute, whatever the the pounds are, how big the dog is. You choose a plan, how often you want BarkBox stuff to come, and BarkBoxes are shipped on the 15th of each month. 
It really is awesome. A great way to keep your dog stimulated and exciting. Bring new things in, uh, new 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 toys, new fun edibles. Everything's made in the USA or Canada. Hundred percent of the products are tested on their own animals. BarkBox, it's a great way to try a variety of treats and toys from local and small businesses that you might not otherwise be able to find. New and unique toys, they continue to keep dogs engaged, interested, and happy. When your dog falls in love with something from the box, you can easily find it again. You just go to BarkShop.com or the app or text them, whatever you want to do. It's a great way to discover some new stuff. You really do need to check it out. Everything is shipped right to your door. Unique variety of toys and treats, and it really, really, really is awesome. So here's the deal. You go to getbarkbox.com slash trunk for a special offer. That's getbarkbox.com, G-E-T-B-A-R-K-B-O-X.com slash trunk, T-R-U-N-K. You'll get a free extra month of BarkBox. Visit getbarkbox.com slash trunk and subscribe and get that free extra month. Mitch LaFon here. Please check out my new podcast, Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon, every Monday on the Jericho Network here at Podcast One. I'll be talking to all the biggest names in rock, including Andy Summers from The Police, Poison, Night Ranger, Loverboy, and a lot more. Download new episodes each Monday via PodcastOne.com, the Podcast One app, or simply subscribe via iTunes. This This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Interview number two coming your way right now on this week's Eddie Trunk Podcast. It is with the always controversial, but I find always entertaining and engaging Ted Nugent. In this interview, we talk about the recent passing of Chuck Berry, Ted Nugent's upcoming tour, the possibility of shows with Damn Yankees, and a whole lot more. So here we go. We let him take over. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna you're gonna love it. Hey, you can't not chuckle at listening to Ted talk and all the energy this man still has. Ted Nugent on this week's Eddie Trunk podcast. I wanted to ask you. Uh, obviously, you got a tour coming up, which we're going to touch on in a minute. But you know, I just had a conversation with a writer a few minutes ago. Who wrote this article about some of our rock heroes sadly passing away, and I know one that impacted you greatly just took place with the passing of Chuck Berry, and it inspired you to to do a performance that you posted online that got millions of views. I know. Talk a little bit about Chuck and what this meant to you, Ted. Well, I'll try to talk a little bit about the things that I am so passionate that propel my quality of life and, Eddie, your quality of life. And everybody listening right now, whether they've actually listened directly to Chuck Berry music, you cannot live in the world of good music, quality, spirited, energized, defiant, just just piss and vinegar, moving, inspiring music. You cannot love that without knowing Chuck Berry. He invented this stuff. He took the Howlin' Wolf, Mose Allison, uh, Muddy Waters, uh, all these black, emotional, authoritative blues guys that were that were singing the emotion of the human experience, and he 
upped it. He kicked it up into an energized honky-tonk boogie-woogie on the guitar, a brand-new electrified instrument, by the way, when Chuck first picked it up in the late 40s, and Les Paul had just electrified it, and Chuck put it in the forefront where it belongs, and all good music, everything comes from that Chuck Berry rhythm, cadence, signature groove and grind, the honky-tonk guitar patterns. Remember, the first Stones and Beatles and Kinks albums, they had Chuck Berry and Bo Diddley and Motown songs. That's where it all comes from. And you're on the phone with a guy that was born right then and there in the eye of the Chuck Berry electric creation. So he is a force in my happiness and my quality of life that as good as I am with the English language, I am helpless to adequately describe my love and affection, admiration, and and joy to have played bass guitar with Chuck Berry and just be drenched with his influence for my entire life for at least 60 years. Well, talk about that, Ted. Talk about your direct interaction with him. You you knew him. You played with him. You spent time with him. How, How close were you with him? Well, Eddie, you know, a lot of people, they hear me do radio interviews like this. And, you know, even at 68 years, people go, boy, that guy's wired. (laughs) Boy, (laughs) boy, that guy's out of control. Well, (laughs) actually, my energy and, you know, I did not invent piss and vinegar, but I perfected it by the time I was nine. And that Chuck Berry uppity, uh, positive, energized music influenced me so powerfully that I, You know, I learned every lick I could, as every great guitar player has. Every guitar player comes from the Chuck Berry modus operandi and the the cadence and the, the lyricism of his guitar, both rhythm and lead work. But 1969, the Amboy Dukes were on tour down in Florida. We played like 300 plus concerts every year. I was I was like drunk on guitar music. And we got to Palm Beach, Florida in the summer of 69, and I got word we were supposed to do a gig with Chuck Berry and Bo Diddley. So I was already, my musical palette was already fully erect, just getting downwind of Bo Diddley and Chuck Berry. And then I was told by the promoter that Chuck and Bo did not have a bass player. So I grabbed my, I grabbed Rob Grange's Fender P bass, and I said, I can play bass. I know all those songs. So I got on stage, and I played bass guitar for Chuck Berry and Bo Diddley, and I'm going to tell you, it was a life-changing event. I mean, I was already on a trajectory of Chuck and Bo and all grinding, soulful, energized, you know, defiant black music. But to be with those guys, Eddie, are you kidding me? I got to go around the Indy 500 track with Parnelli Jones at the at the at the wheel of a Roush uh, pace car doing about 200 miles an hour. I got to hunt with the bow and arrow with Fred Bear. I got to jam with Eddie Van Halen and Brian. And May and Chuck and Bo Diddley, are you kidding me? So I, I, I literally tiptoe on the mountaintop of life's greatest joys. Wow did you did you maintain any contact with them after you initially played with them all those years ago? Were you still in touch with them? Did you ever encounter him again and, and see him personally? Not officially, but you know, I, I, last year the greatest tour of my life, 2016, with Jason Hartless on drums, just just crazy animal drummer jason hartless and greg smith the greatest rhythm section in the world we're going out this summer again why not who's going to stop me but over the years i've always i did my 6758th concert last year yes i've been counting since the pool parties in my preteens, 
And I paid tribute to Chuck and Bo and James Brown, Little Richard, and all the black heroes. Every concert in my entire life, I always paid homage to them. So, no, I didn't communicate with them. And I think it's important to note, and you and I have talked about this, and everybody who loves music should know this, the good is the music. The bad and the ugly is the industry. Chuck Mm -hmm. was so abused so ripped off, as all of us have been one time or another. But in those early days, Chuck was so robbed by the industry that he really got a negative chip on his shoulder, and he was difficult to communicate with for many years. But we never lost our reverence for him and our, 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 our love for the man, but it was difficult to communicate with him for many years. Ted, you talk about going out on tour, and we're going to get into that in a couple of minutes here, but you also talked about something important. All of these guys at one point or another were ripped off in some way by the industry. Where, how, did that, how did you do in all that after all these decades of playing? Did you have a spot in your, time, in your history where you, know, you got fleeced on either shows or publishing or things weren't as they appeared to be that you found out about later? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's the horror stories are legendary, and, and I'm not alone in this. I, mean, I don't think you could get an artist uh, in an interview that can't tell you horror stories. You know, back, you know, the worst thing a musician should do in most instances is manage his own business because you love to play so much that if somebody offers you enough to pay for gas, you'll probably play, even though he's going to make thousands of dollars that night. And in the early days, you didn't understand, you know, the gross versus the net. And so the Amboy Dukes would play for 50 bucks a night, 100 bucks a night, but we'd pack a VFW hall and the guy would make thousands that night. And he, the guy that that rented the hall got all the money and I promise you the people didn't buy tickets because it was a cool hall like they came because <laughs> the music and the band were a killer force to reckon with so all of us have made the mistake of accepting uh, a pittance of a, a, a criminal minor percent of what we actually earned but I did figure that out thanks to Doug Banker my manager for almost geez almost 40 years now he came in and he identified the thieving of, of management, attorneys, accountants, and how they would just, you know, rob us blind. And thank God Doug Banker discovered that, and uh, we got past that. But, boy, I've lost tens of millions of dollars because of punk-ass managers, punk-ass attorneys, and punk-ass accountants. But now i got a great team on my side, and I have for the last you know, 40 years now, thanks to Doug Banker. But everybody experiences that because you want to play so bad, you're not a real good negotiator. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Uh, speaking of playing, let's get into a conversation about your upcoming tour and what you have coming down the pike. But before we do that, Ted, i got to take a commercial break. So if you can hold through the break, we'll come right back and we'll continue talking if that's cool. Try to get rid of me. <laughs> More with Ted Nugent right after the break. This, this is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Hey, I've been telling you guys about Audible for a while now. It's an Amazon company. It really is a great way to take in so many books. I don't know about you. I mean, I get books sent to me all the time and they're just stacked up and I just don't have the time that I need to read everything. But I do spend a lot of time in the car and Audible titles play on iPhone, Kindle, Android, and more than 500 devices for any time, anywhere listening and to take in any of this great content that they offer. 
Audible.com even offers a a free free 30-day trial, complete with credit for a free audiobook download. So that is a really awesome way to get into Audible. They're bringing you today's podcast. You can get that free audiobook and that free 30-day trial by going to audibletrial.com slash trunk, T-R-U-N-K, audibletrial.com slash trunk. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. And for listeners of the Eddie Trunk Podcast, Audible is offering that free audiobook, again, with a free 30-day trial and the opportunity to check out this amazing service. Books like The Girl on the Train, a novel, The Hobbit, Unabridged, Divergent by Veronica Roth, and many, many more. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash trunk. That's audibletrial.com slash trunk. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. We continue talking to Ted right now. So it's hit, uh, time to hit the road again, Ted. You ready to go out there and fire it up live again with your trio this time? Are you kidding me? I mean, am I the luckiest damn guitar player in the history of the world? I started this, you know, eons ago, and I've got the two greatest driving virtuosos in my band. Like I said, Jason Hartless from Detroit, a young drummer that is just phenomenal. Remember, I've had the greatest drummers on the planet in my band, and Greg Smith has been with me for 15 years or so now. And he, these guys are like the funk brothers on uh, backstrap steroids. So, yeah, we're going out all summer. We play six nights a week. None of this two days off crap. We do six nights a week. I'm starting at the end of June in Nevada, and we go nonstop till September. And I, I just based on the rehearsals, Eddie, my God, if I wasn't in this band, I'd buy a ticket to every show just to watch these guys play. What incredible <laughs> music we have. Well, you talked about this last time that you were on. You, you, were, uh, you were saying that at that point you had wanted to go back to go and lean and mean just as a trio. Derek St. Holmes wasn't joining you. You'd, uh, Mick Brown, you'd made some changes. So tell me a little bit about that. You're staying with that band then this time around, right? Yeah, you know, I I love the collaborative effort, and again, Derek is a perfect example, and so was Mick. I mean, God, I think God loves me a little bit more than everybody else because <laughs> he keeps he keeps sending these unbelievable music loving, rock and roll loving maniacs to play with me. And Derek, I did a great tour with Brad Whitford last year. They did a, a duet yeah. album that was full of killer rock and roll. And again, Derek St. Holmes has so much talent. He's probably, I would say, you know, everybody goes, ah, he's really underrated. This guy's underrated. I don't think anybody in the world is a more underrated guitar player than Derek St. Holmes. The guy, when you see his solo shows, the guy's um, an absolute, he's right up there with Stevie Ray Vaughan and Hendrix and Eddie Van Halen in his own style. But as far as emotional musicality goes, Derek is one of the greatest. That being said, because I play this outrageous, widespread Gibson Birdland, a hollow body guitar with all these amps, I'm using these Black Star amps and Customs and Fenders, and I got this incredible tone. My songs were all written for three piece. And when I get that Birdland unleashed in a stereo across the stage, I, I just don't want another guitar 
I don't want a keyboard. I don't want. I don't want nothing. I just want Greg's bass, Jason's drum, and my Gibson Birdland guitar with that incredible sonic spread of tonality and the voice that my guitar has. I like it to be a three piece. So that's what we're doing again this year. And last year, that's what we did. And I've had, you know, when Derek comes up, whenever we're in the geography where Derek's hanging out, he always comes up and sings his own masterpiece, Hey Baby, and he'll do the lead vocal on Stranglehold and Dog Eat Dog and Just What the Doctor Ordered. But when it comes down to my musical dreams, my musical dreams is a three piece. And that's what we're doing this year again. So you are uh, you got a bunch of dates as I mentioned that are up and announced now on your website. Uh, is that the tour? Are you adding more? I know that you have a busy schedule with other stuff. You know the things you do on TV, the things you do with the hunting, the camping, and all that. Is this the run for for this time? Or are you going to add some more as you go? Oh no, we ain't even warmed up. I, I threatened my booking agents that if we don't book six nights a week, I'm kidnapping their children. I mean, no, <laughs> we we when we start the tour, Eddie, we like to play. Every night. You know, I don't even want to take a night off. I do that for the crew <laughs> because we only play for two hours at night. And I, my songs, I mean, who doesn't want to play Dog Eat Dog? Who doesn't want to play Free For All? Who doesn't want to play Stranglehold and Cat Scratch Fever, Wang Dang, Sweet Poon Tang? Come on! So, no, I, I play nonstop. We'll be adding dates, like I said, beginning in uh, Wendover, Nevada on June 23rd. I'll be coming in from Nevada. I'll be coming in from Manitoba with some bloody arrows after getting some rug steaks. You know what a rug steak is? No, I don't. It's a, it's a dead black bear. But I'll be going bear hunting up in Canada. So you don't think my attitude will be proper for playing dog eat dog and all the other love songs, do you? And we'll go nonstop till September. But no, we're adding dates all the time. And somebody asked me the other day, so how do I find out where your uh, concerts are? And I go, go to TomPetty.com. It's all listed right there. <laughs> what the hell kind of question is that? What do you mean? There's this new thing called the Internet, you goofball. You wouldn't believe how much I get that, though, Ted. I hear from people all the time that'll wait on hold, and I appreciate the hell out of it, but they'll wait on hold for two hours to get through to me, to talk to me on the radio and ask me about if an artist is coming to their town. And I was like, just go to Google. You want to? It's well, really easy. Know, that's, what, uh, that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> well, there, there, there is a lunatic fringe out there that still sleep <laughs> most of the day. But I got to tell you, I travel all over this country. And the, the, the positive energy, I'm down here in Florida with my beautiful wife, Shemaine, of 28 years, and we're going turkey hunting in the morning, and we're eating ridiculous amounts of fresh seafood. And, and, and the people we meet in every corner of this nation, Eddie, New York City and Chicago and Denver and San Francisco and Northern California and down in Des Moines, Iowa and Florida and all across Texas and Michigan and Indiana, no matter where we are. There is such positive energy. We can't go anywhere without people smiling and coming up and saying hello. So on the Eddie Trunk Volume Rock and Roll Celebration, thank you, America. Thank you, everybody out there, especially I have 26, 28 million Facebookers. And the, the goodwill and decency that's out there, thank you, thank you, thank you. There's only one thing more dangerous in the world than a coiled rattlesnake within three feet, Eddie, and that's Ted Nugent with more confidence. So keep it coming baby <laughs> ted nugent the uh are you calling the tour make america rock again is that what it is or rock in america again it's called right well we are running into some uh, uh head butting with another organization that has uh, something called uh make america rock again and so oh. we have, 
officially named my tour Ted Nugent Rockin' America Again 2017. We don't want to we don't want to piss anybody off, you know. All right, all right. Now, when you when you sit down, you look at your catalog. You mention the Amboy Dukes. You mention the unbelievable records and songs from the '70s. And you know, there was a lot of stuff that came after that too. You had a great career in the '80s. I mean, you you had a moment there where you lived on MTV. Even I'm not even talking about the damn Yankees. You had the Little Miss Dangerous period and all that. You've had a recent record that you did not too long ago. I know uh, another good friend, Sammy Hagar, popped up on that show uh, on that record and did a duet with you. So you've got this all these different eras of music and all this different stuff to pull from when you do a tour what what i mean you're the boss what do you determine how do you determine what you're going to play you got to play stranglehold you got to play cat scratch fever but is there some deeper stuff you like to get into if the audience will indulge you you know that, that i really have life dicked i don't know if you noticed that but i've really been able to call my own shots for about 60 years now i'm 68 years old and i started this when rock and roll was born and so i i really am all about delivering my musical dreams to people. And your question about how I choose a set list is one of the most exasperating, challenging, pain-in-the-ass decisions I have to make because I love all my songs. I could play for 11 days and not stop to pee and play and play all these amazing songs. But you're right. When I get a guitar in my hand, and with all due respect, and I cannot adequately describe the respect and love and reverence I have for the people who have supported my career, and they want to hear Free For All, they want to hear Cat Scratch, and they got to hear Stranglehold. And, and I do deliver those because you know why I play those songs? I play them for me. I cannot pick up a guitar and not play those licks. How can you not play Free For All or Gonzo or Little Miss Dangerous or Stranglehold or Dog Eat Dog or Motor City Madhouse? And on the Shut Up and Jam record, there's a song I still believe that just gushes off my fingertips when I pick up the guitar. I got some brand new songs. I'm going to probably play some songs that have never been recorded. I got one called Where You Gonna Run to Get Away from Yourself. It's a love song. And I, <laughs> I, I, so yeah, the musical dreams and the musical horizons have not been accomplished yet. Um, they've been accomplished to a great degree, but I'm never sitting on my laurels. I'm never settling. But, Eddie, i I got to play Stranglehold for me, and I know everybody loves that. I was with a bunch of heroes of the military again yesterday, and they tell me, Eddie, that when they go into battle, when they've got to kill bad guys, they play Stranglehold. So how could I not play that incredible lick? So I, I, I got to go with my guts and my hunches, and in two hours we're going to play every damn song. But you're right about the deeper cuts. I love playing Tooth, Fang, and Claw off the Spear of the Wild record. And, of course, we have to play Great White Buffalo. I've probably been playing that for 50 years. But there's so many songs, and so I go with my guts, and I fill those hours with as much killer music as I can, and then we switch them up here and there. Do you do Wango Tango still? Got to do Wango Tango for you, Eddie, or you wouldn't have any sex. <laughs> I played the other day on my radio show, just last night, as a matter of fact, I played Wang Dang Sweet Poon Tang, and I had an older gentleman who was uh, an engineer, and he was looking over as my shoulder. As old as me? Is he as old as I am? No, he may have been... <laughs> 
<laughs> he was looking over my shoulder and he saw me drag the song in and he saw the song title load into the the player that I was using and he said that's an interesting title Wang Dang Sweet Poon Tang and I just I swear to you, I just looked and I said it's it's pure poetry. It's a love song. Just listen to it. Tell, tell me he had a Cheshire <laughs> grin on his face when he said that. <laughs> I mean, you know, what, what else point, is... Eddie, that That's the whole point. How can you not play singing Wang Dang, Sweet Poon Tang, Shake That Thang Like a Rang a Dang and Dang in the Bell? How could you deny yourself such joy and happiness? It's it's undeniable, Ted. It really is. There's nothing now. Now, now let me ask you this: um, Have you thought about you made that record, which was um, the last record? Was it "Shut Up and Rock" or "Shut Up"? Shut up and called? jam, brother. You're Shut great up and songs. jam. I love that record. Right. So, have you thought? I mean, do you, have you thought about making new music? Do you want to do another record? You know, I, I don't ever think about making new music. I have a guitar in every corner of my house with a with a wall of amplifiers that I'm constantly playing around and, and, and milking outrageous skull-crushing tones out of. So I don't think about music. I just live it. I do music. It's like my bow and arrow. I don't shoot the arrow. I am the damn arrow. That's my path in life, and I control it, and I aim small, miss small. And when I pick up a guitar, just killer, grinding, sexy, throttling, throbbing, juicy, greasy barbecue licks just blow up every day. So, yes, I've got to capture some of them. And I got a studio there in, uh, outside of Waco, Texas with my buddy uh, Calvin Ross at Lone Star Music and some unbelievable musicians that I barbecue with down there, Johnny Schoen and, and John Coots. And they, uh, they're, they're, they're so inspiring because we love all the original stuff and we play that stuff, Chuck Berry again. And so, yes, I, I want to make another record. It's about scheduling. It's about logistics and getting the guys together because I guarantee you when it's time to get in the studio, I got to get Jason Hartless and Greg Smith in. And when I'm not touring during the hunting season, those guys are working with other musicians and doing tours themselves. So it's like trying to get the damn Yankees back together. It's so difficult because everybody has such a full, energized, adventurous life that logistics are almost impossible. But I, I, the minute I, I see where we can get in the studio and capture some more killer Motor City High Energy licks, Eddie, your phone will ring and I will warn you. <laughs> hey, um, one more break here, and then I want to talk to you about a couple quick things because you mentioned Damn Yankees and Jack Blades was on with me yesterday. So, um, Seriously, great. Yeah, so give me give me give me f- 10 more minutes if you can, a quick break and we'll come back and we'll hit the tour dates again and we'll finish up with Ted Nugent a few more minutes with Uncle Ted. The Eddie Trunk podcast. Hey, you guys, you may have seen the promos for this, but be sure to check it out. Soundtracks, Songs That Defined History. It's an eight-part CNN original series from executive producer Dwayne Johnson, a.k.a. The Rock. Each hour-long episode explores the music tied to pivotal moments in history and will illuminate how music has played an integral, integral role in, I can say that, integral role in celebrating 
criticizing and amplifying these seismic events. From the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. and the civil rights movement to the fall of the Berlin Wall to the aftermath of 9-11, music has been a force for inspiration, change, and unity throughout our history. The series premieres April 20th at 10 p.m. Eastern and Pacific and airs Thursdays at 10 p.m. Eastern and Pacific. For more info, be sure to visit cnnsoundtracks.com. Some of the episodes include the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr., Kent State and the Vietnam War, Hurricane Katrina, the fall of the Berlin Wall, the moon landing, the Stonewall Riots, Billie Jean King versus Bobby Riggs in the Battle of the Sexes, and more. Check it out, you guys. Don't miss it. CNN Soundtracks, cnnsoundtracks.com for more information. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Ted and his great band getting ready to go out on tour. It kicks off June 23rd in Nevada. Uh, Ted, you got dates everywhere here. You're in Phoenix. You're in California. You're in Florida. You're in Alabama. You're you're jumping all over the place. Illinois, Michigan, uh, and more to come. Right? You're going to add some more stuff to this. Right now, you're wrapping up July. You right right now you've got a July 31st, and then you got a date a month later. So I, I'm assuming that's going to get filled in. Oh yeah, I've got all kinds of penciled in dates. We we play every place with electricity and an attitude. <laughs> As it should be. There's no there's no fake backing tracks at a Ted Nugent show. You don't have to worry about well, the know, computer I, going I, down. I hunt not I, I'm I'm during the hunting season, you know, September, October, November, December, January, and February. I donate hunts to raise money for military and children's charities and a bunch of conservation organizations too. But I donate hunting trips with me, and people pay a lot of money for Uncle Ted to be their fun campfire guide and outfitter. And so all fall and winter, I literally hunt every day. I got a couple of Labrador retrievers that if I don't take them hunting, they will divorce me. So I hunt like a madman, nonstop fall and winter. So when it's time to tour during the summer, I tour like a madman. In fact, I... Now that I mention it, I think I do everything like a madman. I was just going to say, yeah, I was just going to say, there's a theme there. Carpe diem, brother. (laughs) So you still enjoy the road. Obviously, you're still fired up to do it. I mean, it's still something you make time for. You you mentioned uh, Damn Yankees before. And as I said, Jack Blades was on this show yesterday, and he professed his undying love for you and how much fun he has when he sees you and talked about some of the fun you guys have had in the past. And when the inevitable question comes up about Damn Yankees and the viability of ever doing that band again, Jack has always said the same thing and exactly what you said. It's just scheduling. He's in a million directions. You are. Tommy is always doing sticks. Michael Cardelloni was on this show promoting his artwork not too long ago, and he said he's ready to go as well, but now he's in Leonard Skinner. So it is everybody's kind of divided. Right after the damn Yankees' last tour in 93, Michael joined up with Michael Lutz, the original Brownsville Station savage, and uh, smoking in the boys' room author. And we toured with uh, as a greasome threesome for a number of years, and then shortly after that, by 95, uh, Michael Cardelloni, another example of a world-class virtuoso that I've been blessed to collaborate with. And, and by the way, all these musicians, I could name them all, and there's been many, but whether it's Tommy Aldridge or Tommy Clefettos or Michael Cardelloni or Tommy Shaw or Jack Blades or Derek St. Holmes or Jason Hartless or Mick Brown or Marco Mendoza or Greg Smith, I mean, I could go on and on and on all the way back to the Lourdes in 1959. Do you realize that these guys are all not just world-class musicians, but they're world-class 
gentlemen. They're professionals. Mm. They're there early. They stay late. Every song is the most important song. Every gig is the most important gig. So I would hope that Michael Cardelloni, Jack Blades, and Tommy Shaw and I could even, and you got to admit, Eddie, even if we found a day, I guarantee you, just like the damn Yankees was created, we got in a room, and I swear within 30 seconds, Tommy and I started pumping out these grinds and these licks on acoustic guitars, and we, we kind of got wild-eyed, and we looked at each other because we we meshed like we were in the Motown Funk Brother Band, and we just naturally and instinctively played the same kind of honky-tonk variation that was not like un, unlike Sticks or unlike Ted Nugent Band, but we immediately bonded musically. And I guarantee if we could find one day in the studio, we wouldn't have to write anything in advance. We wouldn't have to talk about it. We'd just all of a sudden show up, pull out a bagel and a hot cup of coffee, and within minutes we'd come up with a killer song, I guarantee it. But what about yeah, – I have no doubt of that as as well. And But what Jack was saying yesterday is there's been some, some great offers to try to get the band to do some live shows, and we all know that that's where a big part of the music industry resides these days. Um, so is there a side of you that would love or, or do you think there's any scenario where you could all get on the same page, carve out even a month, and do some special dates that reunite the band? Or, or do you just not think that's possible? Jack tended to think yesterday that it just – he said as much as he'd like – like it to happen he just doesn't think it's possible do you do you differ with that well no i i echo that because we all we all love the music we all got along great we're all workaholics we all love to perform we love the music we love the the communication we have as musicians and as just working hard playing hard american blood brothers but i have to concur with jack that logistics being as they may i will not say never I will not say it's impossible. The likelihood is minimal, but I would like to, you know, communicate with my damn Yankee boys and see if we can't, you know, crowbar a day somewhere and maybe crowbar a month somewhere. So even though it's unlikely, I would never say impossible because the music was so much fun and that's the bottom line if the music is fun for the band, then that is so contagious that I know it would work again. Well, Ted, I appreciate some time here today. I really do. It's always great to talk to you. You've got so much going on. Everybody just go to tednugent.com, not tompetty.com, tednugent.com. If you go there, you'll see all the tour dates that are confirmed so far, how to get the VIP packages. You've always got, uh, you've got the Camp for Kids coming up, I see, in July. You do so much great work that people, some know about, some don't know about. Uh, stuff for the veterans, stuff for the kids, the the stuff that you do with the camps. So so, congrats on all that. It seems like it's all still just going great for you. It really is. And, Eddie, it's always a pleasure to talk to you because what you and I represent and our absolute love of the music and that primal scream that is real rock and roll, believe me, Eddie Trunk, everybody across the country still loves that. And before I go, I'm going to ask you what everybody wants me to ask you. Will there be that metal show again? Mm, I wish I had the answer to that, Ted, because, I mean, you came on there and did such a brilliant job. People still talking about that show. We had such a great day that day. It's unfortunately the channel doesn't exist. So VH1 Classic is gone and there's nothing more that I would love. I hear from fans all the time. They tell me how much they miss the show. 
And I tell them all the time, nobody misses it more than me. It was my baby. But the problem is trying to find a TV network that understands the value of putting a rock talk show on, whether it be that or a similar version of it, uh, is really, really very difficult. I may need to go into one of these networks with you fully strapped. That might be the only way it gets done at this point. Well, I'll tell you what, our, our Ted Nugent Spirit of the Wild is still number one on Outdoor Channel 25, 26 years later. So maybe it's time for a, an Uncle Ted and Eddie Trunk Spirit of the Rock and Roll Radio on Outdoor Channel. I'll see what we'll I can do. do it outside. One, we'll do it outside. Ted, I'll keep, do it outside. Thank you for keeping that love of music alive because you are my r- American rock and roll blood brother and we will not go away well i appreciate that and tell the outdoor channel if they want we'll just do the show outside so it fits the outdoor channel no problem we'll talk to rockers and we'll shoot every show outside you're damn right (laughs) hey thank you ted i'm going to try to come see on one of these uh these shows and of course if you're ever in new york come sit in with us okay yeah, I know we're hitting BB Kings in New York City sometime this summer. Boy, we can go out and have a bagel and rock our balls off. Perfect. Sounds like a plan. Godspeed, Eddie. Thank you, man. Take care, man. There he goes. Uncle Ted. Well, there you go. Interview number two of a doubleheader this week. Ted Nugent. Gotta love the Nuge. Great spending some time talking with him. That interview took place a couple weeks ago on my show on Volume, which you can hear daily on Sirius XM Channel 106. Live from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Replay every night, 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern Time. And earlier, my thanks to Don Airy for joining us as well. And uh, that was a lot of fun. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Again, if you missed out earlier, I was mentioning that a lot of requests for the Phil Mogg interview, a lot of requests for the Triumph interview, a lot of requests for the recent full-length interview with Bob Ezrin, all of that coming very, very soon here on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Keep an eye on my Twitter, at Eddie Trunk, Facebook, Instagram, at Eddie Trunk, eddietrunk.com. Trunk Report is my blog. I'll let you know what's going on each and every week and what's coming up on the Eddie Trunk Podcast, which, again, is new every Thursday and totally free at podcastone.com or iTunes. Be sure to support our sponsors, and thanks to each and every one of them. And again, thanks to Katie Rosari for producing. I'll see you guys next Thursday for another all-new episode. Have a good week.
I'm Clay Smith, host of Fully Booked by Kirkus Reviews, the podcast for book lovers interested in interviews with best-selling authors, insider scoop on the hottest releases, reading ideas for book clubs and bibliophiles, and even tips about which books to skip altogether. So be sure to download new episodes of Fully Booked by Kirkus Reviews every Tuesday. You can get it on the Podcast One app, or you can subscribe on iTunes. And don't forget to rate, review, and share. 